and when I met Dita was probably the most memorable moment because she came out to front of house and we were in the middle of rehearsals and she had like barely anything on. So in this corset, <laughs> she sits down right next to the lighting console and uses her butt to nudge the lighting board. And she says, Oh, excuse me. And she's talking like Marilyn Monroe at this point. And I'm already like red in the face, just having her look this gorgeous, so close to me. And she said, so I, I hear I'm supposed to fuck the new lighting guy. And I'm like, whoa, like, uh, excuse me? Hey, this is Party Like a Rockstar podcast, and I'm your host, Joel. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese on the market today. They're lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher, perev, and 100% vegan. If you like what you see, check out the next video. If you like this video, please subscribe and like by clicking the little round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or our other guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle is joelrody. If you haven't already read my book, Memoir of a Roadie, it's now available through Amazon and paperback Kindle or as an audio book. I hope you enjoy the show. Um, all right, cool. I will intro you guys. We can get going. Ostrowski, okay. Connor, how's it going, man? Good. Yourself, Jimmy? I'm good. Yeah, I, I'm not on tour right now like you are, but I, uh, I'm planning a, a tour. And today, I think we may have decided to cut the whole video package. So. Uh... Good. I know. Why? They don't want to risk not using gear that they're paying for. Because what if one of us gets sick? What if you know the tour gets canceled? What if a, you know five dates have to get canceled? They just don't want to spend a whole lot if there's such a high risk happening right now. And the companies aren't working with them if they have to cancel shows. We don't care. We still want our rent rate. That's a really good point. I appreciate you bringing that up. So today is a good day for me to mention that. I wonder. Because a lot of people then would do it. Why take the chance, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, why take the chances? Because you want people to like your show. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a tough one because we're not talking about five cents. We're talking about a lot of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I haven't had to talk about that. But that was an interesting one. All right, I'll so, introduce you guys. Oh, sorry, what are you working on, Connor? Uh, I'm out with drive-by truckers right now. Oh, right. That's awesome. Your buddies. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> That's great. At least you get to work with music you like. <laughs> Every, for the most part, I've definitely been blessed with that. <laughs> it is. It's lucky because you can't pick. Yeah. 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 Can't yeah. always pick at least. Yeah. All right. So. Jimmy Duke is a lighting designer and a video guy. He's worked for Halsey, Travis Scott, Jake Owen, Kids Bob, Katy Perry, Live, Bruce Springsteen, Gwen Stefani. Actually, we'll get her name right because she's the best one on the list. There we go. Gwen Stefani, pronounce it right, uh, Evanescence, Game of Thrones, 30 Seconds to Mars, Pat Benatar, Aerosmith, Paramore, and the Strip Strip Hooray Tour with Vita Vantis, <laughs> which we may talk about here in a second. Connor Ostrowski is a lighting designer for drive-by truckers, sleeping with sirens. He's worked for The Offspring, but truthfully, I want to talk more about Vita Vantis <laughs> with the Strip Tour. <laughs> Connor's done other cool stuff we can get into, but... Uh, what was the strip, strip, strip tour? Because, I mean, that must, I would have a lot of signing on there, man. You, you give me a big intro, but I, I have to admit, I mean, a lot of those jobs you mentioned were, you know, tech positions. So 
I don't always get to do, you know, work in front of house. Sometimes I'm on the other end of the snake. If you know what I mean? Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. A gig's a gig. Right now we're yeah. all happy to get whatever we can get, you know, but yeah, but yeah, for sure. So was that, the, was that a one-off the one with the strip thing? So we did about, I'd say five to seven shows together. They're all in the South Texas and Florida and in, in between. And what was cool about that show is, you know, they'd already, you know, produced it and knew the show and it had, you know, costume and, and set pieces and it was really fancy and cool. So to come in, you know, at the end, when it was ready to go was, was pretty, pretty nice. I didn't have to be part of the process, if you will. And, um, and when I met Dita was probably the most memorable moment because she came out to front of house and we were in the middle of rehearsals and she had like barely anything on. So in this corset, <laughs> she sits down right next to the lighting console and uses her butt to nudge the lighting board. And she says, Oh, excuse me. And she's talking like Marilyn Monroe at this point. And I'm already like red in the face, just having her look this gorgeous, so close to me. And <laughs> she said, so I, I hear I'm supposed to fuck the new lighting guy. And I'm like, Whoa, like, uh, excuse me. And she said, <laughs> yeah, here I'm supposed to fuck the new lighting guy. She had to say it like the same way a second time. And I still like, I had to just be like, excuse me. And the only reason I didn't flirt and I kept saying, excuse me. Is because you're the video is, guy? <laughs> is because the producer was right behind me and she was a tough broad. Oh. Yeah. In fact, Dita didn't even like working with her. She was stuck in a contract with her. But uh, point, point being, um, I, I had to keep my cool. And that's when Dita revealed to me that she just read um, Betty Page's book or memoirs on uh, – you know, fuck the lighting guy and you'll look better every night. Oh, nice. So there is a yeah. story. That's cool. <laughs> Betty Page knew what was up. That's great. <laughs> I like that one. So you fuck anybody in drive-by truckers, Connor? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Good, no. good job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm good on that one. <laughs> no, is it a good gig though? Oh, it's a phenomenal gig. You've been working for phenomenal them for a minute. Gig. Yeah. Yeah, we're uh, in year five, coming up on six here. So oh, it's yeah. been, it's it's one of those family gigs, you know, and their tour schedule works out well so that I can, you know, they'll tour for like three or four weeks and then take, you know, a month or two off and then tour for three or four weeks and then take a month or two off. Unless they're on a record cycle, sometimes they'll go hard on the record cycles and we'll go out and do a solid four weeks, take a week off and another four weeks, take a week off and do some heavy touring. But for the most part, it's spread out. So it allows me to go out and do other gigs and things of that nature as well. So it gives that flexibility to have a fun tour with my family that I've pretty much cut my teeth with. And then also go out and continue to sharpen the teeth and try other things. It's a good analogy. I like this teeth thing. It's good. It's good. Um, all right, let's see what else we got here. I'm still focused on Dita Von Teese being naked. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad opening there because now the rest of the time I'm just going to be like, huh? What? Who? <laughs> so how do you guys know each other? Where did you guys first meet? It would have been Khalid, right? Yeah, Khalid Coachella. When was that? 2019? Uh, I, think, I think it was 20. Was it 2019 or 2018? I just don't know. It was 2018 or 2019. Uh, I was out there as 
as a tech and help doing some programming work as well with their LD. Cool. Yeah. Their LD, I don't remember his name, but I remember meeting him when he worked for Bush and I was working for Live. It was uh, Johnny Camarillo. Okay. He right. was one of the, I want to say he was a Gemini guy for a while out of Dallas. Okay. Yeah, that that was, uh, that show was kind of messy in the sense that it was, there was a lot of people in front of house, but it just didn't seem like um, things were, you know, planned for, organized. And it was unfortunate. I, I, I'd hoped to be on Khalid for their whole run going into Europe and everything, but it didn't quite end up that way for about five of us. I think five of us got canned in that whole design shit mm -hmm. bag. Yeah. Bummer. I think there were there were a lot of heads, a lot of heads on that snake. You know, there were a lot of a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and it was especially you know leading up to Coachella being the start of that run, and you know essentially being one of the headliners going on right before Ariana, and it was a really big show for Khalid. So, you know they they wanted to go all in and make sure it was done right and give the big typical Coachella performance like like you want to go give if you're a headliner at Coachella. So the pressure was on, you know, creative director, artistic director, lighting director, video director. If there was a director, they were there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, the, I think the only solace I have walking away from that one was just that one of the sound guys, I think from uh, Claire Brothers, uh, walked up to me, you know, maybe some months later on a different tour and said, Hey man, I just want you to know, like we, we know very well, you know what happened to you that day. You you know your your head rolled with a number of other people, but you know we know what happened. To you just you know, and I normally that doesn't happen in this industry. Normally people remember you as the guy who got fired, and not the guy who got fired for something else. You know what I mean? So I appreciated that someone pulled me aside, didn't even know the guy's name, and he says, "Oh no, don't worry. Like we always tell people that you know you shouldn't have you gotten fired for that and you got screwed." And I'm not going to name names, but there was one company in particular that that, you know, was supposed to look after things. But at the end of the day, I think the designer should have made sure that some of those things were looked after. And, and I wasn't I was obviously wasn't prepared for all the changes that day. It was a tough day. And I, I made a bad call that day. I chose to go to dinner instead of check everything again. Oof. And uh, I went to dinner and I should have checked everything again. Yeah. Well, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, nobody's perfect. And I mean, I was hungry. It was yeah. a long sun, you know. Well, I mean, Coachella, so it was a long day in the sun. It was a long day in the sun. And I mean, it was long going up into that. You know, we rehearsed all the way up pretty much until the final moment. You know, we loaded trucks and then went straight to Coachella. Yeah. So, how'd you get the live gig? I like live. I, we did a few shows, like radio shows with them. And, you're fucking kick-ass on stage. Great band. I've been blessed by Bobnet sometimes. I mean, I'll, I'll put my resume out there, you know, like anybody. But Live came back to me. And, and when I saw that I was up against Scott Warren and some bigger names, you know, that, you know, without looking at who charges what, I, I think that they were just excited to work with somebody who had the same idea that they had in their minds. And I, I just happened to have that in my mind already. And, uh, and they said, look, we, we were thinking the same thing, a wall of lights, a wall of blinders. And, and I'm like, well, th there you go. This is a good fit. And so, yeah, we, we settled right into it, knowing very well that it was just fly dates and, you know, weekend warrior stuff and not a whole lot of, really not a whole lot of dates. We were supporting for Tom Petty, Foo Fighters, uh, not Soundgarden, but uh, that was the year that 
Chris Cornell died. Um, oh, rough. Yeah. So when Audio Slave uh, had to cancel the rest of their tour, we started filling in for their dates and um, as headliners at a lot of the festivals. And that, that worked out good for us, not so good for them. And uh, yeah, I, I remember that was my first time on a private jet. I, I thought I was pretty cool. That is very cool. I've been on one. That's neat. So Connor, you were you were a stagehand and you worked your way up. Am I right? Yeah, that's correct. I so mean, where are you a stagehand out of? <clears throat> so I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. And huh. when I was living in Maryland, you know, my my parents met doing theater essentially. So I've been shuffled between theater dressing rooms as a baby all the way up through early childhood and teenage years, uh, stage handing. Oh, well, you're for... such a snappy dresser? <laughs> Do what? <laughs> I don't know about all that. I mean, <laughs> I'm the guy that'll roll out. I'm, I'm well known for my cowboy boots and shorts. I'll tell you that much. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, but, you know, kind of came up in, in theater and jumping around between different venues uh, on the musical theater side, doing stagehand work and tech work on some community theater shows, some more professional level shows. Um, and then when I moved to North Carolina back in 2013, I think it was, uh, I just started working for the Orange Peel as a as an intern, actually. I was an intern there when I originally started and uh, kind of worked my way up into the lighting director position there and have just kind of done gigs all over that town, you know, different various venues and different local production companies, whether it's as a stagehand or a lighting tech or a lighting director, um, spent a ton of time hanging PA. Uh, like, actually, it's funny, I got connected with the Pulse Lighting folks who moved me to Nashville when I was working at the Peel. And then ironically enough, I had gotten fired from the Orange Peel. And uh, I, I was going through some stuff personally and couldn't make it to two three o'clock load-ins and they're like well we love you but this isn't fair to the rest of the crew we have to make a point so uh i was let go from that and then started doing like union union stagehand work just as an overcall guy because the Asheville union is so small so any big shows that come through there they had no choice you know for the most part they just kind of go scoop up guys and gals around Asheville instead of bringing a bunch of extra stagehands in from you know Charlotte and Greenville uh they'll bring like riggers and stuff in but general techs and stuff of that nature they'll bring us in so uh I was doing a panic show one year on Halloween and uh that's when Paul Hoffman was like are you Connor from the Orange Peel and was like first of all like why are you hanging PA if you're a lighting guy and I'm just kind of like, well, uh, I'm out here working, man. I'll do whatever job needs needs to be done right now and still learning a lot. So I'll hang PA if that means I got to hang PA to do a show, um, which is funny because it was, it was, you know, I wasn't even in a lighting director position when I technically interviewed with him on that arena floor, helping hang the PA for the widespread panic show. Ended up turning into the interview that brought me into a full-time lighting career. So, yeah. There you go. That's cool. And how about you, Jimmy, then? So what what was your work way up? I, I'm a fan of Panic, especially um, in the late 90s. I love seeing widespread Panic. So I, oh, yeah? Yeah. I, I Man, I, I always talked about 
this one story in Illinois where I, I don't know how I got soaking wet. I can't remember the story. Maybe it was raining, but there was a guy who took the shirt off his back and he gave it to me. I'll never forget that at a panic show. <laughs> that sounds about right. You know, that Halloween show, that was the first panic show I'd ever seen. And to be quite frank, I kind of had no clue who they were. I was like, oh, I've oh. panic. This sounds cool. Like, this will be a big trippy Halloween show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that same day loading that one in, it was my first panic show. And so I, you know, I wasn't on the show call, but for loadout, I came back a little early and was like, I'm going to pop my head in, see what's going on. I've talked to this Paul guy. Now I got to go look and actually see what he has going on and uh, went and checked out the show. And I mean, I love the show. And since then I've, I've worked a handful of panic shows for Paul teching for him. And it's just like the, it's, it's kind of a lot similar to the, you know, the drive-by truckers vibe, you know, they're another Athens band, same with REM and driving and crying and all those guys. So it's kind of that same family, Southern rock jam atmosphere. And that extends out to the fans, you know, and uh, beyond, beyond the band and the crews and the local crews and, the fans take care of the fans and the fans take care of the crews and the crews take care of the fans. And it's just everybody, everybody looking out for each other. Yeah. I, I missed that. I, I wish I had stayed with that genre. Um, my humble beginnings were more classic rock bands. Uh, but mm -hmm. I, I it, when I had that opportunity to work with Keller Williams and string cheese incident um, back in the day, that, that was really cool. And I, that's where I would have loved to stay but I was based in Vegas and I was distracted by a lot of other type of events and gigs and it just didn't stay that way. Yeah. But I would have loved to stay in that family vibe for sure. Yeah. Are, are you still in Vegas? Yeah, I'm still, I, well, I still claim to be, um, I've been living on a boat in Lake Havasu, Arizona. Sure. Fun. So Las Vegas is my home airport. It's only two and a half hours to the North. It's funny how many roadies are in Vegas. It's like this roadie Mecca or something. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Well, when COVID hit, I decided I'm better off in a small town and, and I like being on the water. So it's a good place to hide out. Yeah. Sure. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, uh, my beginning is simple. I mean, I thought I'd be a sound guy. I, I, I you know, it didn't take me very long to realize I don't hear very well. So luckily the <laughs> one person I knew in Las Vegas was a lighting guy. And that's why I moved here and, you know, crashed on his couch for a while because I figured, well, lighting guys bound to know more sound guys than sound guys do. <laughs> no, so yeah, that's funny. I crashed on the lighting guy's couch and, and it didn't take very long for me to realize I belong on the lighting crew. And uh, it stayed that way for a long time until about eight years ago when I started. It was the Paramore gig that sort of made me realize, gosh, I need to transition to video for a number of reasons. Reasons we don't need to go in, but I'm sure Connor... You can relate. Sometimes it's when you go on a big arena tour, you're better off on the video crew. Sometimes it's the opposite, you know, so. It could be either or. <laughs> it depends on how they want that wall hung and whether they're just wanting to hang a wall or they want a set made of wall. Yeah, it's good to be able to do both. <laughs> Keep you diversified. That's good. Uh, what is a Gesoffelstein? Oh, that's, uh, he's a French DJ. Okay. Uh, and I got paired up with him, uh, as a, as a tech for lighting designer, Pierre Cloud out of Paris. Um, and that was quite a tour actually. It was, <laughs> it was, a, it was a total blast. Uh, 
it was my first time working for a DJ. It was my first time uh, working in a situation like that where, you know, the whole production is like us. Obviously, he's the show, but, you know, there's no band rolling around. It's one guy uh, for the most part flying to most of the shows. So in our situation, it was a crew bus with a production manager and the crew. So that was really different for me you know no talent rolling with us just talent shows up when it's time for the show and talent disappears and it was just kind of our own little world um but that was actually really really fun design to tour uh it was it was really challenging at, in many many points because we were doing anything from like larger theaters to larger rock clubs so you know we're taking automation and video walls and this huge set and shoving it into uh like what's what's that venue in chicago where you have to go up through the hole in the wall uh i can't remember the the aragon yeah so we're doing like you know sticking that show into like aragon ballroom where you're pulling the set apart and off the set carts to get it just through this little hole in a wall that a forklift is lifting your gear up to and you know you've got three trucks to in a one truck alley type situations um so it was fun because it was challenging on on that side but not only was it logistically challenging sometimes but uh you know pierre pierre is a phenomenal lighting designer and and programmer as well and being a designer myself, I really, and a programmer and an LD and, you know, I work in many facets of, of the creative side, as well as the tech side, do some video work as well. And uh, being on that, watching such a talented person from a tech position and seeing how they run day to day, watching how they have their show file laid out and how, and what their expectations are. Um, it really set the bar for me. He's one person that expects he's he expects perfection every single day. You know, I haven't really worked for LDs before that will radio me from front of house and be like, that light is, you know, a couple millimeters off of its point. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'll (laughs) run a tape measure out and damn if he's not right. And it's not right on the zero where he wanted it. And it's, you know, we'll move it into that position. And, you know, a lot of lighting designers or lighting directors that I've worked with, you know, a lot of the time they want it to be on that zero so that it's less work that they have to do updating focus positions, you know, and yeah, it is our job as a tech to get it as perfect as we can every single day. But a lot of people understand that there are just some days where that light might be a little bit turned or might be a little bit to the side or something like that. So some people can be real dicks about it, but the thing with Pierre is he was really great about it and he would spend just as much time at front of house, making sure that every focus position was just as perfect as our lighting placement. So like, that is one thing that I highly respect is being able to sit back and like as much time as we spent to make sure that that rung was hang was hung exactly perfect every day. And that every floor light was put out exactly as he had it drawn he would spend equal amount of time out at that console spinning around in his chair, looking at dots on the wall, making sure that every single position was graphically exactly how he was doing it from night to night. Um, So that was really exciting to kind of watch that and be like, okay, cool. This guy's asking for, for perfect, but he expects perfect of himself as well. 
Yeah. Um, and that's what the whole team was striving for. And when you get into a situation like that, like where everyone's expected to try to, you know, make this show perfect from day to day, because a lot of the positions were, you know, straight and fans and ups and downs. So if one light was out of the way, the whole look would be thrown off. And uh, it, it was really just awesome to watch how that that whole show came together every day from, you know, our, our talented, talented, super talented rigor, um, Dan out there with us, you know, he did a phenomenal job and helped us out a lot, taught me a ton. Um, you know, we'd get a truss up and it'd be just, just off center. And, you know, he'd teach tons of tricks to here's how we're going to go ahead and get this back on center exactly where it needs to be without having to pull this whole lighting rig apart. <laughs> and Jimmy, I think, you know, Dan, right? Yeah, actually, I'm going to see Dan in a few hours. Oh. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going, we're going camping together in the Black Canyon tonight. Nice. Oh, dude. He keeps telling me to come out and see him and come out and go on an adventure with him. I definitely need to do that soon. Yeah. So <clears throat> he's picking up an RV in Phoenix right now. And then he's going to drive that RV up to Willow Beach Marina, where I have a boat that I staged this morning. And we're going to take the boat up river in the canyon at night. I've got lights, of course. I'm a, I'm a lighting guy. And uh -huh. uh, it's going to be pretty epic. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's going to be so much fun. Yeah, yeah that sounds it. So do you guys have any uh, show like shenanigans, wind-up stories or any that stand out that are funny that you can think of? <laughs> the rodeo was pretty fun. Yeah, rodeo. I, I'm going to let Connor, I want Connor to tell the story at the rodeo because not only did I almost get my ass kicked, but one of my lights just got like smashed into the ground. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't think I'm talking about your rodeo. What do you got on the rodeo? So there's uh there's this rodeo that I do every year in Sykeston, Missouri. Uh, at least I've been doing it for like the past five years or so. And it, it's funny how it happened is when I first moved to Nashville, you know, I was working for a lot of other extra work between uh between touring and and you know shop work and just trying to get out and get as much you know, on the job training as I possibly could doing different types of shows, whether they were total shit shows or great shows, because I've learned just as much from, I've learned more from the shit shows than I have a lot of the great shows. Um, and, you know, my buddy Bart reached out to me who I had, you know, he does Hank and I had met him a few years, a few years back and he reached out and was like, Hey, I've got this rodeo that I do every year. It kind of sucks, but it pays well. And, you know, the people are really cool. Can you go cover it for me? I was like, sure, whatever. I've never done a rodeo before and it was on MA and I'd never been on MA like full time yet. I was, I was an AVO guy and uh, I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. I'm going to go do a rodeo because I learned best in the fire and there's be no better way for me to learn MA than just go out and fuck up a rodeo. I was like, you know, whatever. Um, I'll go out and do this thing. So I go out there and it's just LED pars and like some platinum beam movers and some blinders but the way it is the way it's set up is uh i was out there as you know the electrician and lighting director for the entertainment side of things so after the rodeo after the bullfighting every night there is a taco stage that all the band equipment goes on the stage folds up and then a tractor pulls it into the rodeo arena 
the stage folds out, they pull a PA in on trailers, all that good stuff. And then they have the show. Okay. Well, in the past couple of years, they've started bringing through uh, artists that are carrying full production. So beforehand, you know, it's kind of a take the money and run type of gig where artists would come through the bus and trailer with their gear and then, you know, put backline on stage, play the show and go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the past couple of years, you know, they've been asking if it's possible to bring production in and the production manager for the rodeo, who is a volunteer, it's all volunteer stagehands. Uh, it's about 30 volunteer stagehands that we have there at any given time. And uh, I, you know, I, he was asking me like, are these productions possible? He was like, you know what it takes to build this type of thing? Like, is, is this something that you feel might be doable in here? And I was like, well, yeah, absolutely. But it's gonna suck for everybody involved. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so, you know, we need to make sure that everybody understands coming into this, like the touring crews that this today is like no other that they've ever had before and to just roll with it like we've got their back um so oh jimmy happened to come through with one of those one of those multiple semi truck tours that wanted to put their semis on this little itty bitty taco stage for this rodeo and of course in true fashion we said yeah we'll get her done we'll make it work and uh I guess what was that? Was that Jake Owen? Yeah, Jake Owen. Yeah, it was Jake Owen. So they had a big old riser design and, uh, you know, pipe, pipe ups that had BIs on top of them. And the set had the, the row hybrid panels across the front of it and just lights and LED everywhere a lot for that stage actually i think jake owens probably the most we've ever put on that stage in the years that i've been there uh full production wise um but the thing with that taco stage is they pull the rodeo stage out into the arena you back the trucks up you dump the trucks you build the rig but everything you put on stage has to fit in the middle of the stage so when the walls are folded you have to fit in that and you can't go tall too tall because they take that and they stick it in the barn. Sure. So you have to make sure that your rig can fit through the opening in the barn, which is literally inches tall enough to fit the rodeo stage in. Now the rodeo stage has truss that's bolted on or welded onto it. And uh, they finally got square truss, by the way, Jimmy. It used to be like triangular truss with like antenna truss with uh, like, six par 300 ips or whatever the elation ip rated six par is and it was uh 15 or 20 up and 15 or 20 down but when those fold it's engineered so that they fold on top of each other without hitting well this first the highest one is two inches below the roof of the barn so all your rig has to be lower than that light otherwise it's going to hit the barn um One thing about the rodeo is those stagehands, you have to keep in mind that they're not production folks at all whatsoever. And they operate on their rodeo rules and they don't care whether you're touring personnel or whether you're one of their people and they do things their own way. Um, they, They can take instruction and like it's, 
they're some of the greatest hands I've ever worked with because they're so the pride that they have for that event, although they've never worked a real production, like as a full-time production person for most of them, at least there's they this is like the biggest event that happens in their town every year. So their pride for that event, they're ready. They're showing up ready to work. You know, I've seen them weld bus trailers and like do all sorts of crazy, like they have diesel mechanics and welders and all sorts of people. So it's one of those things that you come through the rodeo and if you need something fixed, they have somebody there that can fix it. But at the same time, uh, if you talk to them like a general stagehand, they don't receive that well at all whatsoever. And uh, and sometimes, you know, our we go to a default where, you know, we might need to get a little get a little abrasive with people to get the job done because we're on a timeline and uh jimmy got to learn how they do not take abrasiveness very well (laughs) (laughs) what'd you yell at the guy well i definitely didn't yell i I don't remember the details but i think it was something to the effect of like repeating myself three times and then making a comment about how i said it already three times you know so yeah that's all it took my girlfriend loves it when i do that Okay. <laughs> I think I think it was like definitely just a it was a miscommunication of, you know, them not understanding what Jimmy was talking about and Jimmy not understanding how they couldn't understand what Jimmy was talking about. And I was standing in between like there is a huge communication break happening right <laughs> yeah. here. And I, I don't remember. Yeah. I, I just remember a guy wanting to beat my ass who I seemed drunk. Am I wrong? This must have been after the show. He was drunk and he wanted to beat me up or something. And that's when a stagehand, who I don't know if he pretended to play dumb or if he was dumb, but as soon as he grabbed the light from the pipe, he dropped it and it fell like 15, 20 feet off the stage to the ground. Oh shit. I missed that part. Yeah. And so I missed I, that. I had to go to Premier Global and they're like, well, you know, we'll cover this once, but if it happens again, we're going to notice it's a thing with you. I'm like, okay. So I didn't have to pay for that broken light. I got away with that one. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I think it was like somebody's wife. They just didn't want, want, I think you were coming off abrasively to somebody's wife and they were getting defensive. Ah, uh, that they that were, makes- they were, she was, I think she was, she was sensitive about it or about the interaction and then you know how that whole chemistry can can start going and uh he they probably were not sober that's another fun thing about about (laughs) that that rodeo um is by the end of the night for loadout the all the hands get behind the stage in the cattle shoots and watch the show from backstage but Part of watching the show from backstage includes all of their coolers that they have back there because, you know, at the end of the day, this is like their big event and they're the entertainment crew and they're there to enjoy the show that they helped put on for the rest of the rest of their friends. Yeah. Uh, and they party down. So sometimes on the way out, it, it's uh, it's a rodeo of its own on the loadout. But at the same time, knock on wood. I haven't seen any crazy injuries or any like alcohol related like whammies happen on, on that gig. Um, I'm usually a little bit more cautious on 
whether or not we're going to be using heavy machinery based on whether it's before or after the show because <laughs> <laughs> we definitely have walls and bobcats and all that good stuff to help get everything that we need done taken care of like the loadout for that show uh you know i try to start it saturday night but usually I have to tip out the law driver to stay sober for an hour or two because they want to go party because it's the last night of the rodeo. So like they want to go hang out with their friends and party and have a good time. And they're like, Oh, we'll get it tomorrow. And I'm just like, yeah, but then I have y'all who stayed up all night and are often still drunk the next day for loadout as, as our hands for loadout. So I would really appreciate it if we could take the law and get things out of the catwalk tonight. <laughs> so it's it's one of those gigs it's it's an interesting gig but i will say hands down that's that's another group who have become kind of like a family to me though you know and it's another you know i i work for the drive-by truckers i work for one of the most liberal bands in southern rock i i think you could say so it's like when i go to the radio a lot of our social and political beliefs might not always mend but one thing i do like about that rodeo is it's another it's another experience and uh, experience for me where I can see that like we put all that to the side and we just come do a job. You know, I'm definitely there. They're, we don't agree on everything, but I'm definitely proud to call a lot of those folks friends. Um, and, you know, it's, it's great to see like people who have different points of views and totally different walks of life, you know, can come together and I can come into that rodeo and be a total total opposite from from most of them you know rolling in with with my cowboy boots and my shorts but still looking you know <laughs> rock and roll or emo as fuck or whatever you want to call it and uh you know they're still going to welcome me in as as the rock and roll emo hippie that i might be at the same time you know That's good. so it's 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 a pretty cool experience you know yeah it sounds it's, awesome I, I I honestly try to tell tours I'm not available during that week every summer you know obviously if there's a big tour there that it's like all right I have to turn down this whole tour to take this week off I'm not going to do it but if I can put a sub out on a tour for me so I can go do that that rodeo yeah. I'm gonna go do that damn rodeo nice that's good uh-huh. all right when I first started this podcast I was at my friend's house my friend's daughter's in fifth grade she was with a few of her little girlfriends and they collectively said, I need to ask every one of my guests when you first felt famous. So my question to each one of you guys is, when did you first feel famous? If fame is not a road that you choose to go down, that's fine. When was there an event in your career that was pivotal or that meant something to you personally? What would each of you guys pick? Well, I mean, for me, an obvious choice is when I did an event in the Philippines in uh, December of 2002. Okay. And I was with a band from Hawaii called Society of Seven. They had a show there at the Outrigger Hotel for 30 plus years. And they cloned their band uh, with a younger version of themselves. And that new group was supposed to come to the Hilton in Las Vegas. But after negotiations and contracts were done, the owner of the Hilton said, I don't want the new guys. I want the old guys. I want the original guys. So all these, uh, about five at the time, they packed up their families and moved to Las Vegas. And this, this group that they cloned society of seven uh, took over for them at the outrigger hotel in Waikiki. And I, um, I met society seven. I probably after they'd been uh, the Hilton 
and then the Golden Nugget. Anyway, I met them at the Aladdin where I uh, was working with Greg Maltby, a good designer, and I was programming the Avalites console for him. And we did a couple other shows in that new showroom at the Aladdin at the time. And um, I remember him saying, hey, he's perfect for you. If you're going to go to the Philippines and do some events around Christmas, take this guy with you. So they brought Jimmy. And um, I remember, you know, just really getting my uh, my chops just in like learning how to call spots and run lights at the same time. And that's really where I got to learn to do that was with a band, a Vegas style band like that where they're, you know, covering, impersonating and just adding laughter and entertainment constantly. And uh, so what were the guys that they were looking for new dudes? I'm sorry. How old were the guys in the band that they were looking for replacements? Yeah, so they're still doing the show at the Outrigger Hotel in Waikiki. So Society 7, the guys they they trained up to replace them, the younger version of them, they're still there doing it. Now, obviously, a guy will get, you know, changed out here and there. That would happen with our group, too. But I would go on to do a lot of tours with Society 7 off and on over the years. They they had a few LDs to call on. But for me, um, we did consistency together for almost seven years, I'd say. And whenever they got a new showroom deal on the strip in Las Vegas, I would come in as the designer and then sometimes double dip as a union programmer operator as well. And then um, anyway, back to that story. We went to the Philippines the day we landed and immediately they they had, um, you know, special security to pick us up right there on the runway. We didn't have to go through customs. We went right into armored vehicles. They closed down streets and held stoplights for us. And the mayor declared that day. Society of Seven Day, because here they were, you know, half of them were of Filipino origin. And they're like, look at us. We made it big in the States. We're finally coming home after 35 years just, you know, to do some shows here in the Philippines. And they wanted Vegas style lights. So that's what I gave them. But there's a lot of, you know, a lot of stories that come with working in the Philippines. That's for sure. Like the power is completely unstandardized, but maybe the worst in the world. But that day when we landed and we met with the mayor, and um, we had our pictures taken and I noticed that it was going to be on the front page of the newspaper and they wanted me to be in it with them. I asked them why, you know, why would you want me in the picture? They said, Jimmy, it's for security purposes. You must. I said, okay. <laughs> and, then, and then about, I don't know, two weeks later, a bunch of shows later, I'm doing a show in the park, a free show for over, I don't know, I'd say 20, 30,000 people showed up for this free show in the park and the president of the country uh, landed by helicopter and I had bare wire out on the back of the stage and there's a fountain like spilling water and it's just so dangerous in the Philippines but no one cares so I'm the only one who cares and it's kind of nerve-wracking that like I'm climbing my own trust I'm doing everything myself and I'm making sure nobody gets electrocuted and here I have the president of the country coming on stage and after the show that night I think I signed more autographs than the drummer did <laughs> that's awesome yeah. And that's from the photo from the newspaper? Uh, no, that's just from being a white guy with long blonde hair in a place like the Philippines, where they literally sneak up behind you to touch your hair. That's crazy. <laughs> that's a good gig. That's and that's cool. I want to listen to these guys now. I'll have to check them out. I don't know them. So that's neat. So is it sort of like a Buena Vista social club type thing? It Yeah, I mean, sure. They, they've got an element of the Rat Pack and uh, Four Tops, you know, and... and uh, you know, anything from Celine Dion to, um, you know, Tina Turner to, I mean, there'll be men dressing up like women, women dressing up like men. So it's not just men in the show. They usually have one woman in the show. They had um, Lonnie Vesalucha and then Jasmine Trias for a while as well. But the coolest part, honestly, was just being in the Philippines and meeting all these interesting people, 
you know, and, and then going to dinners that featured some of the strange foods. What kind of great food you must have had. Amazing stuff. Well, I think it was only our second night. We were already at a place that just specialized in insects. So I was surprised <laughs> to find, yeah, that there's a delicacy there for people, you know, who have clout and money that apparently it's a big deal to eat insects. I didn't know that. And you wouldn't read this if you looked it up online either. So, um, you know, meeting a lot of famous singers in the Philippines was really cool. But I think the best part about it is getting to talk about it later, because I always run into Filipinos everywhere in Las Vegas, all over the world. I meet happy Filipinos. And I love to, you know, share some of the Tagalog I, I learned, because I'll tell you right now, our first show was a disaster. And I said, everybody come back tomorrow. I'm going to fix this. And I, I went out drinking with the keyboardist that night. I learned Tagalog and I called the, the next show and all the other shows in Tagalog and they're all flawless. So, yeah, it makes a huge difference. If you embrace the local language. That's for sure. Yeah, but it's hard. So you're good with languages. Yeah, I, I learn enough directions, colors, numbers. There you go. You're good. Ah, good on you, man. That's a cool story. That's not, I don't know. What's more dangerous, the rodeo or, or the Philippines? <laughs> Imagine taking the rodeo guy and putting him in the Philippines. <laughs> Let's take the rodeo to the Philippines. It no, the rodeo like guys idea. have insects for dinner with their beer. That would be amazing. <laughs> Stag your, with a side of insect. That would be crazy. What's your moment, Connor? First I don't know. Rather, is a good one. That's a tough one. I mean, I think a huge moment of a feeling of accomplishment for me was probably uh, the moment that a lot of my peers and family accepted that I didn't just drop out of high school and join the circus. Um, join the realized, circus? Like, yeah, join the circus. No, 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 not, oh. not quite literally. Okay, uh, I was like, oh, wait a minute here. <laughs> no. Like, well, after just... all the talks, I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Anyway, okay. who knows? Hit rodeo circuses, you never know. Actually, I, I wouldn't mind doing the circus. That must be a fun thing to program and do. But uh, you know, I moved out of out of Maryland, fresh out of rehab. I'm in recovery. So I moved out of Maryland, fresh out of rehab, dropped out of high school, and event I start I worked in hotels and stuff like that in North Carolina before I started working for the Orange Peel. And then when I started working for the Orange Peel, I then started working for more mobile production companies and made the move to Nashville. And so to a lot of the, a lot of my family and my peers back home and stuff like that, people are just like, Oh, he dropped out of high school and joined the circus and this guy's in recovery and he's living the life of sex, drugs and rock and roll. And, you know, when's he going to take life seriously? And there's a lot of people who never really considered what we do and still don't consider what we do like a job and don't, and a career rather, mm -hmm. and don't realize that what we do is hard work from, from start to finish. Um, any job that we do, whether you're a shop tech, that's just cutting looms apart and testing cable or the lighting director of the biggest tour going on in the United States, like the amount of, stress and sleepless nights and like just treating ourselves so unhealthy to make a lot of these productions happen is uh is insane so it you know it's it's hard work and you know there there's a while where uh a lot of my family just kept messing with me all the time and they're like when are you gonna get when are you gonna get your gd when are you gonna get your gd when are you gonna get your gd and finally, it's to the point where, you know, I've I've started my company, Wide Open Productions, with two fabulous business partners, Max and Henry, 
and we've started bringing in contractors and other employees and you know we have some some excellent designs going out this year and you know i've been able to work for some phenomenal artists you know like i i've just like jimmy i'm not always at front of house um i'm not always doing lights i do video sometimes i'll do lasers sometimes i'll do special effects sometimes um so you know i'll i'll tech i'll ld i'll vj like i kind of like to go go all go all through different different departments within a production especially these days where a lot of us are required to wear so many hats so you know i think the biggest moment of of uh i guess fame if you will or success is the moment where you know the people who matter to me realize that what i'm doing matters to me and is actually a lifestyle and a career choice and something that i plan on doing for the rest of my life and if i die behind a lighting console or hanging a video wall so be it that'd be my happiest way to go you know um obviously there are moments where the fame felt real like doing festivals in indonesia with the used and you know so having dinner with steve martin and you know doing doing different things like that but you, you know those steve martin uh so i used to work i cut my teeth in bluegrass and oh, i used nice. to work for the steep canyon rangers steve martin's bluegrass band oh so... that's amazing stuff <laughs> so he's so like a totally a... serious guy though usually right totally serious totally laid back uh i guess my favorite ld fame conversation was probably having to explain to steve martin that my hazer was not going to affect his lungs um because <laughs> he's never been a big fan of haze uh on his tours you know his lighting director will haze haze the theater up to do focus and stuff of that nature but um they don't actually really use any haze during his comedy shows and and stuff so when he comes on stage and plays with the rangers or you know at this this conversation happened at their festival in brevard north carolina called mountain song festival where they just they bring in a bunch of really awesome bluegrass acts and steve has a house in brevard so uh he spends a lot of time in brevard north carolina so when mountain song comes around he usually swings through and makes an appearance or two uh so i definitely spent a I spent some time in catering with him as well as some time sitting at a picnic table at a theater at a college in Brevard, North Carolina, having dinner with his wife and kid and the Rangers. And, you know, he's just, he's a family guy. Uh, he's got his Steve look. He knows when you're stoned. That's for damn sure. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, he smokes weed. So it's one of those things that it's like he kind of just looks at you with that Steve eye. Like, I'm going to make you visibly uncomfortable. But at the same time, you know, I know that, you know, that I don't care. <laughs> yeah. He's an <laughs> but he's like, I'm guy. He, 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 he really I'm, is. I'm an art dealer for like a decade. And he has a really serious art collection, like serious, seriously cool stuff. So he's a diversified I... dude diverse is definitely a great way to put it you know and it's funny because he hates at least from my gathering he has not personally told me this so you can't necessarily quote him on it but he does not like his movies like his music and uh his his comedy and you know things like art and stuff of that nature the cult the more cultural things it's is a, definitely a perfectionist i think is what it is i'll bet i'm assuming 
Oh, and and he totally is. I I could totally see him as a perfectionist. You know, I, I think you kind of have to be a perfectionist to play banjo the way that that guy can play banjo. <laughs> have you seen Ricky Skaggs? Oh, absolutely. I uh, I toured cool. with the Traveling McCurries. The Traveling McCurries were actually the first tour I ever did. So we did some shows with like doing like Del Fest and stuff like that in Cumberland, Maryland, where uh, actually one of my favorite Ricky moments is he was playing a Fender Strat covering some dead tunes with them at uh, Del Fest a few years back. And like he was playing a Strat while Ronnie McCurry was playing the Mando Strat which was even better because it's like he's back there on this big red strat and then ronnie is over here just his little mando strat just crushing it killer yeah i was told steve martin he bought his original routine the first routine he did he bought it which was totally legit he paid the guy for the act and he he got it down to perfection and that's where he got his career going huh Okay, so he right. bought someone else's act, bought their act, dialed it in, and then he dialed it in and worked it out. But he he bought the other guy's routine, so it's okay. it's an interesting concept, assuming it's true. But she did work at the Laugh Factory for like thirty years, so to take something from someone else and pay for it, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of a little farther along, right? And then fine tune it to be you. That's interesting way, you know. It's a He's a thinker, I think. I, I like Steve Martin's stuff, but mostly it's the art collection stuff because he he has like really high end crazy stuff. Yeah. So I'd be curious to see what he has in his car collection. Oh yeah, I like the art stuff more. I grew up with. Cars, <laughs> so I'm not a big car guy, but I get where you're coming from for sure. Yeah, I don't know. It's a neat way to live, anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm not a huge car guy myself, but uh, I can appreciate a nice car. That's for sure. It, it, people's yeah. car collections intrigue me. Like the the vehicles they choose to purchase intrigues me, especially when you can watch somebody with, you know, a net worth like that take take yeah, how you can where buy they you where want. they spread so that out. Yeah. That? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I get that. All right. Well, guys, I really appreciate. It. I'm going to start an online petition for. Uh, Nita Von T or what is it? Dita Von T's to do another tour and hire you. <laughs> be good. Get both of you guys to go out on it. <laughs> but I do appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, man. If you guys ever need anything, yell at me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. I really, I really appreciate the time. And I, I enjoyed the stories too. I didn't know a few things about Connor today. Maybe next time we could talk more, you know, about what Joel does, but I just, I really appreciate learning more about Connor. I can't wait to work with you again, brother. Yeah, dude, you're like, uh, dude, like, you're, you're like a, you're like an orange. And I'm just peeling it back. You know, ever mean <laughs> Sure, I'm like, wow. <laughs> it's neat. I mean, Jimmy, hopefully we can work a gig that we get to enjoy together the entire time. I've enjoyed both the gigs we work together, but at the same time, they've been some tough gigs. It'd be nice to just go out and cruise on a gig together for once. <laughs> so I'm going out with a death metal band. Uh, they're called All That Remains. Oh, they're great. Have you heard of them? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Do you know yeah, who's we, LDing we, that? Well, so I'm going to do it. That's the plan. Oh. And yeah, so All That Remains was going to go out with a much bigger package than they ever had before to celebrate 50, their 15-year anniversary of their most popular album, The Fall of Ideals. And so I put together this this great design. Then we you know, scaled it down. It still had lighting and video. A um, little less on the video wall side, more on video strips now. 
but still looks really good. And then there was a game changer recently where I, I heard there was more money available. So I added some X4, you know, bar 20s. And, and now all of a sudden we're going back to the drawing board. So I'll let you know once we figure out what we're doing. Oh, man. <laughs> let me know. Holler if you need any help. We got a whole creative team ready to back you. <laughs> I appreciate we'll rock, that. Baby. Next one. I need your support. So thank you. <laughs> cool. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe by clicking the round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or the guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle's Joel Rody. And don't forget, when you party like a rock star, don't be a dick. <laughs>